And please turn, if you will, to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 11 is our passage this morning. We're in this series that started in chapter 11 called When We Gather. Paul's addressing the corporate gathering of the church at Corinth. He commends them for rightly uh, understanding the roles given to men and women in the corporate gathering. Some needed to hear that because they weren't exactly responding rightly to the roles that God had given them, but most did. So he commends them at the beginning of 11. He rebukes them for the way they take the Lord's table and remain divided from one another at the end of chapter 11. And then here in chapter 12, he needs to teach them about spiritual gifts because evidently they're not responding the right way. They're not serving one another in the way that are supposed to be, that's supposed to be done. They're jealous of one another. They are valuing certain gifts above other gifts, therefore certain people above other 12 through 14. Chapter 13 is that famous passage on love, and it's in the context of loving the body and serving chapters are about spiritual gifts and the wrong way to use them, think about them, and the right way to use them and think about them. So 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 11, please follow along as I read. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who is them all in everyone. To each is given manifestation of the Spirit. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another of healing by one Spirit. To another working of miracles. To another prophecy. To another ability to distinguish between spirits to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as He will. I've entitled this message, Church Members and Different. When you think of church members being the same and also different, you can liken that to even your own siblings. In many ways, you're the same You've got the same uh, father and mother, your biological siblings. You've, you've got characteristics maybe, maybe similar mannerisms. But as you know from uh, being with some of your siblings, you're also very, very, very different sometimes. I think about that when I think about this passage, often the first paragraph, verses 1 through 3, talking about them, and that'll kind of come alive as we explain those verses, but he's aiming for the church at Corinth, and we should aim to understand that he's showing that they're the same. All say together, Jesus, Jesus is our… And then he goes on to show how the same God, the same Son, the same us differently. We all have different roles to play. Believers in that sense are kind of like snowflakes. No one of them exactly the same, but yet they are the same in terms of being united under Christ and His Lordship. So again, church members, the same and different. Our outline will be this, two facts about all Christians in a local church. 
two facts about all Christian church. Point number one, they're the same. They're spiritually alive under Jesus' lordship. And then in verse four, we'll get to how they're different. They're uniquely gifted for Jesus' church. So first, they are the same in that they're spiritually alive under Jesus' lordship. Chapter 12, verse 1, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. He's starting off a new section, a new, well, a new subject, if you will. He's still talking about corporate worship, which he started in chapter 11, but now he's talking about gifts in corporate worship. What was going on at the church in Corinth in, in that time? What, what was happening is they all seek to use their gifts, and they were even jealous of one another's gifts and, and wanting certain gifts and not other gifts. He, he needs to shed light on how the Holy Spirit works in a local church. And that's why he uses words of being informed or knowing a few times in these first few verses. Notice, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols. And then again in verse 3, therefore I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. They have some things to learn, and that's clear is the same in many ways. They're the same in one distinct way, one key way. They're the same in that they all says is Lord. Now again, I've said this before, in so many New Testament churches, you've got uh, two wildly different groups of people coming together, people who were formerly Jews, and now they embrace Jesus Christ as the Messiah. Now they're Christians with a Jewish background, and you've got pagans, Gentiles, who embrace Jesus Christ as Lord, as Savior, as Messiah, and they are brought together. And again, I jokingly say so often, Paul didn't say, well, let's just have two different worship services for you, okay? A Jewish one and a Gentile one. No, he, he helps to instruct them to become one and united together. Well, that's what's going on here. In Corinth, there was not only the Jew-Gentile division that was difficult, so even taking the Lord's table would be kind of difficult because the Jews kind of patterned it after the Passover, and the Gentiles might have even patterned it after some of their old pagan feasts. And now they come together to share this meal in Jesus Christ at His table, and they don't always see eye to eye, to eye on how to do that. And so, he's bringing them together. Here, they have these spiritual gifts. Some have this gift, some have that gift. And there's jealousy, there's contention, there's frustration, there's conflict. And so, what he does in these first three verses is he shows them how they're all the same. Jewish believer, Gentile believer, you both say Jesus is your Lord. That's where we need to start. You're the same there. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I don't want you to be uninformed. Verse 2, you know that when you were pagans, now this is obviously speaking to the Gentile Christians, the formerly pagan Christians, you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols however you were led. So, the, the, these Christians now in Corinth who are from a Gentile background, a pagan background, used to worship idols and they would go and, and they would even do these long processions, these parades as it were, to the idol's temple. They would get in front of the idol and it wouldn't say anything. But they worshiped it for some reason. And they trusted it for some reason. So he kind of mocks that. And he says, when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols. Following that idol didn't lead you toward righteousness. Look at the things they did at their feasts. Didn't lead you toward loving others well. It led you toward individualism and selfishness. It didn't lead you the right way, that idol, that mute idol. 
Verse 3, therefore I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is a curse. Now, what's this all about? Well, there's a shift between those with a Gentile background being led by idols to those of a background that used to say Jesus is accursed. Now, what group used to say Jesus of Nazareth is accursed? Jewish Christians. That's what they would say. Jewish Christians, before they were Christians, used to look at Jesus of Nazareth and say, he is not from God. He's accursed because he claims to be God, John chapter 5. Jewish people, before they were Christians, even used to curse the followers of Jesus. Now, I want to remind you of the setting of this new church in Corinth. Okay, so turn back to Acts 18. We did this at the very beginning of the book. But I want you to see this hostility of the Jews toward the teaching of Jesus Christ. This is the story of how this church was started, Acts 18. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. Isn't it fascinating how persecution drives people to different places and God still fulfills His purposes? Okay, let's keep going, all right? I can comment on so much of this. It's so rich. But I want you to see the kind of Jewish conflict here when Christianity comes to town, all right? Uh, verse 4, or uh, end of verse 2. And he went to see them, and because, verse 3, he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. So he goes to the Jewish synagogue and he's trying to persuade them of the fact that Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah. That's what his, Paul's normal practice was in coming to a new area. Verse 5. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, see their response to this? Hey, everyone, listen. Let's open the scroll to, to Zechariah. Let's open the scroll to Isaiah. Let's open the scroll to the Psalms. Let me show you that Jesus is the one this is referring to. And they just didn't go, well, Paul, you've got your truth, I've got my truth. They didn't do that. They opposed him, and they reviled him. Verse 6, when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I'm innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. That was interesting. So he leaves the Jewish synagogue and literally says, I'm going right next door. I'm going to tell this person about Jesus the Messiah. Okay? Verse 8, Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together. Oh, no. They're starting to lose control of their synagogue. The head of the synagogue, the ruler of the synagogue, believes now that Jesus is the Messiah. This is going to be troublesome. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. 
And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, don't be afraid, but go on speaking and don't be silent because I'm with you and no one will attack you to harm you because I have many in this city who are my people. You keep talking, people are going to be saved is what God is saying to Paul. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. That's how the church at Corinth was birthed. Some were Gentiles coming to faith in Jesus, leaving the pagan idols that used to lead them however they were led. And some were former Jews who now believed that Jesus is in fact the Messiah. And that didn't always go over so well. There were problems there. Justin Martyr, an early church father, wrote to a Jew named Trypho, and he said that in Jewish synagogues, they curse Jesus of Nazareth, and they curse those who believe that he's the Messiah. This was a normal practice. The Jews who did not want to hear that Jesus is the Messiah would curse Jesus, this man claiming to be the Messiah, claiming to be the chosen one, again from John 5, claiming to be equal with God, which is blasphemy if you're not. They were cursing him and they were cursing all of his followers. So when Paul says back in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. The Holy Spirit hasn't opened their eyes. If someone says Jesus of Nazareth is not God, he's not the Son of God, he's not the Messiah, in fact, he's accursed, Paul's saying, They're not doing that by the power of the Holy Spirit, obviously. But then notice what he says, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. The fact that some of these Jews were now saying, or the fact that they once said, Jesus is accursed. This man is not the Messiah. And then hearing Paul or somebody else's evangelistic message, then going from that to, no, 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 I see the connections here. Jesus is my Lord. Notice that when I read Acts 18, it it talked about the Jews believing, and then what what did they do? They were baptized. Do you know what early Christians would say at their baptism? Jesus is Lord. That's what they would say, because previously they didn't say that. In fact, Jesus was accursed in their eyes. Now they're saying Jesus is Lord. So Paul's just showing these Corinthian believers, listen, those of you who were formerly Jewish and now you're Jewish Christians, now you're identified by being in Christ, the fact that you see Jesus as your master is because the Holy Spirit has powerfully done that work in your eyes. And Gentile Christians, formerly pagans who are now Christians, you now follow Jesus. You don't follow mute idols. You follow a speaking Lord So both of you, you are as different as night and day, but you both say Jesus is our Lord. So he starts a spiritual gift discussion there. He shows them how united they are because they were acting in a way that was anything but united. Let me just pull the car over for a moment and say the fact that any of us see Jesus Christ and say, He is my Master is a powerful work of God. That's one of the reasons we praise the Holy Spirit so much, because the Holy Spirit is the one that has shown light, given a spiritual light, so that we could see Jesus for who He really is. This is what the Spirit loves to do, and it's what He's done for all Christians. 
So I think in these first three verses, there's really a call to praise the Holy Spirit. If you can say from your heart, not just verbally from your lips, if you can say from your heart, Jesus is my master, Jesus is my Lord, you have great reason to praise the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I was thinking about this just from my own life this week. Just kind of wrote some thoughts down and thought maybe this would be helpful to you. I wrote down, I went from being guided by my own flesh and by the God of this world, Satan, to being led by Jesus Christ. His Spirit has taken my face and directed it to Him, the Creator, the Sustainer, the King of the world. This is the one, this is the one that the Spirit has made my heart eager to follow. Around 20 years of age, my heart, with zeal and love, said, Jesus is my Lord. This is just one of the reasons I love the Holy Spirit. That's true for all of us, isn't it? If you're in Christ, if you love Christ, if you trust Christ, if you say, I want to follow Christ, you have eternity to praise the Holy Spirit for His work. Holy Spirit, you grabbed me and pointed me into the direction of Christ. We'll be forever thankful for the ministry of the Spirit. So Paul tells this fractured church, you are all spiritually alive under Jesus' lordship. You are all responding to Him. You listen to Him. You trust Him. You've been given the miracle of regeneration. You say Jesus as Lord. Jewish believer, Gentile believer, you both say Jesus is Lord. I think here there's also a call to humility and love for one another. I mean, don't you see Paul doing that? He's bringing them together. They so often kind of look at one another. Eh, I don't know about you. Well, I don't know about you. And he's bringing them together saying, you both see Jesus as your Lord. Let's start there. I love what Peter says in 1 Peter 3.8, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. So often when the church is spoken of, we're spoken of, we're told to see what unifies us and to be humble toward one another. So Christians are the same in that they are spiritually alive under Jesus' lordship. But Christians are also different. He equips us and empowers us with different gifts and ways to serve one another. So Christians are the same, but secondly, Christians are also different. We are uniquely gifted for Jesus' church. Verse 4. And in verses 4 through 7, he's going to talk about the fact that different gifts are allotted by God. Different gifts are, are kind of doled out by the same God, the same Lord, Jesus, the same Spirit. So he's going to the Godhead, the Trinity, and saying the Trinity, being of the same essence, gives various gifts to all the members of the church, to all the people in the church. Verse 4, now there are varieties of gifts, and notice the word same all throughout chapter, uh, verses 1 through 11. There are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord, speaking of Jesus. 
and there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God, speaking of the Father, who empowers them all in everyone. So right there you see, just in three verses, all three members of the Trinity being interested in giving gifts, various gifts, to people in the church for one purpose. What's the purpose? Verse 7, to each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Jesus Christ is interested in you having certain gifts for the common good of this church. The Holy Spirit is interested in you having certain gifts for the common good of this church. God the Father is interested in you having certain gifts for the common good of this church. And you can say that about all local churches. And he uses different words for their activities and gifts. He says there are a variety of gifts, a variety of things that we are able to do, things that we are good at because of what God has done. There are varieties of service. There are varieties of, of ways that we serve one another. And there are varieties of activities, things that we're active in. So, so these all three words are kind of similar, but a little bit of a distinction. Think about it this way. If we personalize it, and we talk about some, some woman in the church named Joan. We could say, Joan is really gifted in this area. Or you might say, Joan served us well. Or you could say, Joan has really impacted us. Okay, so it's just kind of highlighting the various ways there are, the various activities there are, giftedness, the various things that go on in the church that that God had has given to each of us. And really, verse 7 is kind of the key verse of the paragraph. So, paragraph starting in 4 and ending in 11, verse 7 kind of tells the story, kind of, kind of sums up the argument. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. That's kind of the summary of the paragraph, if you will. And the rest is just him making the argument around it. So, We've been gifted by the Spirit, we all have different acts of service by the same Lord Jesus, and we all have different activities given to us by the same God, the Father, who empowers them, energizes these activities that we do. Now, specifically in verse 7, it says that the Spirit is the one doling out the gifts, so it focuses the, the Spirit's work here, okay? focuses us on that. Now, in verses 8 through 10, we've got a sample list of gifts. He's going to start off talking about two gifts of speech, and then he's going to go into some other gifts. Now, I want you to note, this isn't a comprehensive list of spiritual gifts. There are three other places in the New Testament, one coming later in the chapter, three other places where spiritual gifts are talked about. Now, this isn't saying here in verses 8 through 10, these are all the spiritual gifts, nor do I believe Romans and Ephesians 4 and later on in the chapter, it's all the spiritual gifts. He's just highlighting some that were pertinent to this church, this church in Corinth. So let's see the gifts he talks about. Verse 8, for to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. Now, wisdom earlier on in 1 Corinthians was connected to the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ, which seems so foolish to the world. A crucified Jew, you are saying, is the king of the world who I need to bow my knee to. Yes, that's wisdom. That's, that's the wisdom of the cross. So, 
Wisdom is related to the gospel. Paul shows us that earlier in 1 Corinthians 1 and 2. And then it talks about this utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. Knowledge, understanding how these spiritual things should impact people's lives. So really, most people think that these two gifts kind of go together in sort of a teaching fashion. The utterance of wisdom, seeing the gospel, understanding the gospel, and this utterance of knowledge, understanding how people should respond to the gospel and you proclaiming this gospel, proclaiming this knowledge to them. So we're going to just assume that wisdom and knowledge are going hand in hand. If you want one word to kind of summarize both of these, teaching. Teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, the way of Christ, all right? Garland, one commentator, kind of links these two, a number of commentators link these two together in terms of teaching, and he says this, the message of knowledge and of wisdom is closely related to the message delivered by apostles, prophets, and teachers. It is the ministry of the Word that most benefits the church and strengthens its mission to the world. And then he goes in verse 9 to another gift. To another is given faith by the same Spirit. So the Spirit's given wisdom and knowledge to certain people in the church. They're teaching you things. And other people in the church have this gift of faith. Now, the gift of faith is kind of like the gift of evangelism. Believers, which is literally the same word in the Greek as the faithful ones or the ones who have faith, believers all believe in Christ. Those who have faith in Jesus are are Christians. So all Christians have faith. It's kind of like all Christians are called to evangelize. But there are some who are really gifted and really have faith. Okay, that's what he's saying here. There's this extraordinary amount of faith that some people have. So all believers have it, but there are some who really have it. Again, similar to evangelism. All of us called to do it, but some really, really good at it, seem to be so gifted at it. So to another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing, the ability to heal various diseases or conditions. You see this in the time of Jesus. He sends His disciples out in Mark 6 and gives them the ability to heal diseases which verify their gospel preaching, and people end up repenting and believing. You also see this in Acts. The apostles and people associated with the apostles being given the gift of healing. And again, like I just mentioned, in the New Testament, in this era, time of Jesus, time of the apostles, Those healings and miracles weren't just done to be a blessing to people, though they were. They were also done to verify the people doing this healing. Listen to the message they're saying. There's something to these people. Listen to what they're saying. So Jesus would say things like, you come to me because you want bread, this miracle that he did. You come to me because you want bread, but you don't listen to my words. Listen to my words healings, miracles, validated the ministry of Jesus and the apostles. And in Corinth, some had these healing gifts. They were able to heal people, various diseases or conditions. Verse 10, to another, the working of miracles. This is probably miracles different than healing miracles. Barrett says this, how wide a range, we have no means of knowing. How wide is this range of miracles? So you've got some people healing, but then there are obviously kind of a, there's a bigger range to miracles. How wide? 
a Bible commentator who studied Corinthians for a long time said, we don't know. How wide a range, we have no means of knowing. Though presumably the nature miracles in the Gospels give us a pointer. So some miracles having to do with nature in the Gospels, maybe there's some people able to do some miracles like that at the church in Corinth. To another prophecy. What's prophecy here in 1 Corinthians 12? The infallible speaking of revelation from God for the good of His church. So God's speaking through a person in a way that builds up the church. And that, that prophecy is infallible. It's true. It's perfect. It's correct. Now, remember, I've told you this before. They didn't have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Corinthian church. They didn't have other letters of Paul and Peter and Jude and James and John. They didn't have the other epistles. So, God at this time would gift people in the church to speak further revelation to them that they could take to the bank. This is God speaking. That's prophecy. Some people always think that prophecy is foretelling the future. There might have been some of that to it, but, but the main thrust of prophecy is God speaking through someone perfect revelation in a way that would build up the church. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. Now, if you don't have any of the New Testament scriptures, and those are being developed and formed, even if you're in Corinth, in Corinth as they speak, as we speak, they're being developed as Paul writes this letter to them. If you don't have the scriptures to measure things against, but people are speaking for God, you could see why God would give certain people to distinguish and say, this is a message from God. Or no, 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 don't listen to this person. <laughs> this is not a message from God. So certain people were gifted in the church to distinguish between the spirits. In Acts, there are people that would sometimes speak out as the disciples were doing their miracles and proclaiming the gospel. Sometimes people under demonic um, um, influence would speak out, and there would this, be this confusion because they seem to be saying so many true things, and the disciples would rebuke them. No, no, hold on. Don't listen to that person speak. There's someone speaking through here. No, no, listen to what we're saying here. So, distinguishing between spirits is something that was given to the Corinthian church. Now, it's significant that the next two are put last in the list. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. Now, I'm just going to give you a heads up. Next week, we're going to just kind of step out of 1 Corinthians for a moment and talk about the gift of tongues. What is it in the Bible? What is it? What's the goal of it? Why is it so wonderful? And how do we view that today? So that's going to come next week. If we try to do that this week and teach 1 through 11, we'd miss a lot of the rest of the day and you all would be angry because you'd be hungry and the Methodists would be at the restaurants before us and... <laughs> So, so next week, so that you can all get to Golden Corral at the right time, next week we'll talk through what is speaking in tongues, what was it then, and make sense of it even for now, okay? What I want you to see here is that it comes at the end of the list. Now, when Paul gives his lists, he does so intentionally. So often in Paul's lists, love is put first. And you can see that everything else flows underneath that. 
Well, in, in Corinth, you'll see this in chapter 14, there was, there was this desire for speaking in tongues. I mean, all of these things, if you could heal, if you could distinguish between spirits, if you were given prophecy, those are all rather amazing gifts. And if you could speak a language that, that you didn't know but someone else heard in their own native language, if, if I'm speaking to you in English and someone from Italy says, who doesn't speak English, says, you're speaking Italian, you're telling me the ways of God, you're telling me why He's so amazing, I believe that. I don't know Italian. That's the gift of tongues. Again, we'll see that next week. But this gift of tongues was prized by this church. And evidently, according to what we read in 1 Corinthians 14, people were jealous for that gift. People who had that gift were kind of, look what I can do. I don't think you have this type of gift. They were doing that sort of thing. That's why Paul writes chapter 14. So notice here, they were so fixated on having the gift of tongues. Here, Paul puts it at the very bottom of the list. To another, various kinds of tongues. Again, more about this next week, but in Acts chapter 2, you see that people have come from all different areas. There are Jewish people scattered through different areas, speaking different languages. They come to Jerusalem for the Feast at Pentecost, and it's, no, it's not insignificant that now Jesus has ascended. He's empowered the disciples to proclaim the gospel, and as they proclaim, they speak it in their language, and different people hear in their own language, and they scatter. This is, this is such a fascinating study. I have to wait till next week, okay? Let's move on. Another, various kinds of tongues, or you could say languages. To another, the interpretation of tongues. Yes, that is what that language is. Yes, that makes sense. Somebody to understand the language spoken, to verify what's being said. So the summary of his argument is that these are all special because the Spirit empowers various ones to all believers. Again, go back to verse 7. To each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. You see what he does there. He shows that all of the gifts that he's about to list in 8 through 10, all of them are special because they all come from the Spirit. They're all special. Now, again, they were elevating tongues, so he puts it last in the list, but you'll see in 14, in a number of places, he says how wonderful the gift of tongues is. It's good. It's a gift of God. But they were making it the gift that was better than all the others, and he doesn't allow for that. No, no. The amazing thing is the Holy Spirit has all gifted you differently. Verse 11, all these are empowered energized. That's the second time he's used this word in this section. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. This He isn't the individual person, by the way. I think I want the gift of healing. Well, I think I want the gift of tongues. He doesn't empower according to what you want. The He here is the Spirit. All these are empowered by the one and same Spirit who apportions each one as He wills. The Spirit has said, you're going to be good at service. You're going to be good at administration. You're going to have the gift of healing, church at Corinth. You're going to have the gift of tongues at the church in Corinth. You're going to have this. The Spirit decides 
who he will give what gifts to. The Spirit does that. And all of them are powerful. All of them are empowered by the Spirit who apportions each one individually as he wills. So right there, verse 11, there is no, there's no bragging aloud. Well, I've got this gift. You don't have that gift. Well, who gave it to you? You didn't give it to yourself. You were gifted that by the Spirit. It's like, like Meg Ryan says in You've Got Mail, it's like the people that brag that they're tall. You had nothing to do with it. You just were tall because of God. No bragging allowed. Well, I've got tongues. Well, I've got teaching. Well, I've got leadership. Well, I've got what? Don't brag about it. God gave it to you and not just... He didn't give it to you to build you up and to show how wonderful you were. He gave it to you to serve His people with. So, Corinthians, no bragging allowed here. Notice that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, sees to it. Now, go with me here. Verses 1 through 3. The Holy Spirit sees to it that we follow Jesus as Lord. So, the Holy Spirit does this miracle in our heart that causes us to cry out, Jesus is Lord. The Holy Spirit does that for us. And now the Spirit's ministry doesn't end though. Now the Spirit says, now that you say Jesus is Lord, now that you live that way, now that you love Him, now that you love His law, now that you love what He says, now I'm going to also empower you to serve His people. So the Spirit's fingerprints, if you will, are all over the Christian life. He led you to Jesus as Lord and now He leads you to serve others in His body. The Spirit is active in the life of the believer. Again, forgive maybe a second personal illustration this morning, but trying to help communicate this to you. I remember being a new Christian, and I, knew, I didn't have a theological bone in my body. The only theological thing I knew was the gospel. I'm a sinner. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. I trust that. I believe that. That's what I knew. I didn't know anything else. I grew up in a charismatic environment and also kind of an attractional church environment, kind of low theology, lots of stuff going on. And then during the week, so this is parents were divorced, I kind of grew up in both environments. During the week, I would go to a Dutch Christian Reformed school. So, I mean, I was kind of all over the map. <laughs> if you want to know some sort of theological background, some insight to it, I probably have it because I lived it, okay? But I wasn't a Christian in those years growing up. I didn't understand the gospel. I didn't understand the need that I had for Jesus Christ and the capable Savior that He was intentionally for me. And I did, as I told you, around 20 years of age. understood the gospel, came to know Christ. Now, the next few years, I was sitting in a church in Los Angeles called Grace Community Church. Some of you are from there. Sitting in that church, I would go there for, th went there for three years. I didn't know a soul. I would park, kind of living my own independent life. I would park, come in, sit down, and I knew one couple, because they often sat near me. Their names were Dave and Nicole, and they lived in Burbank. That's all I knew. We kind of just exchanged pleasantries, sit, listen, learn, move on. I did not understand the Christian church. didn't understand the local church. I was learn everything was new to me. I understood the gospel, 
And that's about it. And then one Sunday, our pastor preached a sermon on membership in the church, being part of the church. And he talked about spiritual gifts and serving. And this was like, I mean, like the scales fell off. I was like, whoa. Because for so long, because of the way the culture shapes you and even sometimes the church shapes you, I, I, I thought of the Christian life as what's in it for me. What's in it for me? What do I get? What do I like? What do I not like? I like this music. I don't like that music. Oh, I think I'll go to this church. Uh, this one's kind of the time I like. I can sleep in it. Everything was me. And then I saw passages like verse 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Hold on a second. I'm supposed to now help others. So I remember just being struck by that message. Went to talk to one of the pastors there. He ended up becoming a very close friend of mine, Pastor Kurt. And Kurt discipled me. And one of the things that Kurt taught me day in, day out was serving the body, care for the body, loving the body, helping the body. I'll never forget the first act of service I ever did as a Christian. Maybe there were some other ones. Maybe I encouraged someone here and there. But the one that rings true in my mind, Kurt said, hey, we're having a conference. A man named Sinclair Ferguson is going to come to our church and do a conference on parenting on Saturday, all day Saturday. I need some people to come Friday to kind of set up registration. Would you come? Sure. So got off of work on Friday, drove through traffic in LA. I mean, this is like really noble service. I mean, that's, you know, (laughs) drove through traffic in LA, got to the church, stayed there for a few hours. I can't remember exactly what I was doing, maybe putting name tags together or getting, I think something involved CDs. Somehow they were passing out CDs. Those are something you used to listen to music on. So I was doing something related to registration or CD, but I just remember it being different than previous Friday nights in my life. Previous Friday nights in my life were, what do I want to do? What would make me happy? Now it was, how can I help the church? What can I do? And I remember being so excited as I drove home, just just for doing that. And, And I believe from the heart that that's because I was doing something that I was now wired to do. I was doing something the Holy Spirit had made me love to do. When God calls you to do things, when we see things in the Scripture, and when we do them wanting to obey Him, there's a joy about it. And I remember that joy. I remember later on being married, and Michelle will remember this, um, we served in children's ministry. I wasn't a pastor. I never thought about being a pastor. I didn't want to be a pastor. I just wanted to serve the church. I was just some guy, some guy dating Michelle. And so I remember us sitting on the ground in San Fernando Valley in the middle of the summer, 110-ish degrees, putting the children's ministry pagers back in their chargers after the second service. So being there all morning, and they used to hand out pagers for parents and children's ministry, just sitting down in the hot sun, putting the pagers, oh, we're missing some, got to go check the rooms, see where they are. And I just remember the joy of that. It doesn't make sense. (laughs) Didn't you want to be like, home watching baseball or eating in and out or, you know, going. Yeah, but this, this was great. And my story's not unique. You all understand that if you're in Christ. 
if you've been shown that believers aren't just made to say Jesus is Lord by the Spirit, but if you've been shown that believers are then to serve in the power of the Spirit, and you embrace that, you know the joy of service. It's amazing that we get to help the children of God with the resources that He's given us uniquely. What a privilege that is. This is not amazing Christianity. This is just normal Christianity. The people of God bow the knee to Him, and then they go and start serving one another in His name. That's normal Christianity. That's just a New Testament Christianity. In this church, week in, week out, People are teaching the Bible. People are giving financial support to one another. People are praying for one another. People are extending hospitality to one another. People are speaking the word to one another. People are serving the Lord's table. There are people who stand there and walk the aisles. I mean, have you seen the slope in this room? They're walking the aisles. They're getting here early to set up the Lord's table. People singing week in, week out. People doing things behind the scenes that you don't know about. I mean, this church is a beehive of activity, and it's wonderful. This is how God has made the church to function. I think there are some implications I want to draw for us at the close. First, recognize that God cares for you through other people. Now, I'm asking you for a moment to think about you being the recipient of gifts, okay? We've been talking a lot about how the Holy Spirit equips us to serve one another, but just think of yourself as the recipient for a moment. A lot of people think about the Christian life and God's blessings on them like a shower. God showers blessings on me. That's not the best way to think through how God blesses you. It's not the best illustration. There's a better illustration. You ever been to a wedding where there's like a champagne pyramid of glasses, right? So like champagne is being poured in the top glass. Some of you prefer sparkling cider, okay? You can pick your beverage, okay? Whatever drink is poured into a top glass, and then there's a pyramid coming down that fills up all the other glasses, and the glasses at the bottom all end up getting filled up. That's how God blesses us. That's how God cares for us. He pours His gifts into people who then pour them into us and help us. That's the way God cares for His church, through each other, through one another. You can see that again all throughout chapter 12, not just our verses today, but our verses in a couple of weeks. God is using the body to care for one another. It's not just God blessing you or God blessing me. He does it through one another. So recognize that God cares for you through other people. In that way, being connected to a local church is part of being greatly blessed by God. Second implication for us, there's no room for competition, is there? No room for jealousy and gifts. Well, I wish I could do that. Hold on. God has made you to do something really well, to serve really well. It's times like this where a logical question that you might have is, how do I know my spiritual gift? And the advice I've always given is this. Get close to the people. Get close to people in your church and see what their needs are, and try to meet them, okay? Get close to people, see what their needs are, and try to meet them. You will start to see things that bless people, and you might see some things that maybe don't. I don't know if you're a teacher. 
I don't know if administration is necessarily your thing, but this, this is a huge blessing when you do this to us and for us. So, so get close to people, see what needs are, and seek to meet them. So many people get so fixated on their own spiritual gift that they, they end up thinking about spiritual gifts just kind of in a selfish way. Well, just look at the needs and seek to meet whatever you can, and I believe God will show you where you do that well, where it's a blessing to other people. I don't believe that people have one particular gift alone, like, sorry, I, I just do this, I really can't do. I think there are certain things we do better than others, but again, all of us look kind of different. So there's no room for competition. Simply seek to serve and value one another's gift. It's good to be in a church where not everyone's like you. And it's good to be in any group where not everyone has the same strengths and weaknesses. <laughs> the things I'm weak in, I need someone else to be strong in and vice versa. That's good. That's how God does this. So no competition, value one another. And finally, use your gift. Use the time you have. Use the abilities you have. Use the resources you have for others. Again, informally speaking, get to know people, see what the needs are. Now, formally speaking, there are times when we announce maybe some needs. The weekly email, there's a need for this. And, and there are some people who see those, and they're, 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 their whole way of thinking about the church is, what, how can I do the least amount of work? That is, that is not what the Spirit does. That's really weird, according to the New Testament. The, the New Testament is, Jesus is my Lord, what can I do? That's the New Testament attitude. So, when there's something announced or maybe put in an email, okay, there's a need there. Can I meet that? Can I not meet that? Look for those things. So, there are formal ways, there are informal ways to use your gift. Listen to 1 Peter 4, 7 to 11. Here's another end times passage. We're living in the end times. You want to know what to do in the end times? The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. This is end times living. So I'm preaching an end times message to you. Ready for an end times message? Serve one another. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's, and here's our word again, varied grace, allotted grace, multifaceted grace. God gives grace to people. He gives some people help with finances. Some people need a word of encouragement. Some people need some instruction. He, he's given us that to give to other people. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God, so speak what God has said. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. When you use your gifts, when you function and serve and meet needs and help people, that glorifies Jesus Christ. What brings Jesus glory is being like Him. And He came to serve. So glorify Jesus 
by serving others. And then he ends it this way, to him be long glory and dominion forever and ever. He deserves that glory. You, you can kind of retrace the steps. He deserves glory. We can glorify him. How do we do that? Serve one another. So Christians are the same. We're spiritually alive under Jesus' lordship. And Christians are different. We're uniquely gifted for Jesus' church. God's intent is that people in your local church would be helped by the gifts he's given you. If we were to go outside after the service and those of us who the Spirit had saved, so he's, he's put in our hearts this, this reality that Jesus is our Lord. So for everyone who has that confession, Jesus has, or the Spirit has made me to see that Jesus is my Lord. Now here's what he does. He empowers us. We get up, we walk outside, and there's a truck out in the parking lot. The Spirit's empowered us to walk outside, and he empowers us to go into this truck, and that truck is full of boxes, and our names are written on each box. So each, each box has a name on it. Janice, Joey, Kelly, Brian, where's my box? Where's my box? We go find the truck. The Spirit's launched us out there. The Spirit helps us to grab that box with joy and eagerness. And we think, There's a, this box is for me. But then we look in the box, and dozens of little bags. And they've all got different names on them. The box is just given to you, but inside of it are things for other people. That's the picture of spiritual gifts. It's not, this box is for me, I'm going home. No, 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 no. Look inside of it. What has God equipped you to do? What's the time that he's given you? What's, what are the resources he's given you? What's the mind that he's given you? What are you able to do? And that is for people who need it in this body. Because not all people are able to do what you're able to do, and they need what you have. And the Holy Spirit is the one who gives us those boxes, gives us those gifts. So obviously, to hold on to that gift or not even want to walk outside. Jesus is my Lord. Well, let's go get our gifts. Nah, I'm going to do something else. That doesn't make spiritual sense. Is Jesus Lord? Is the Holy Spirit working? But He is. And this church is a testimony to that. This church is, the testimony is people going out to the truck, what else can I do? What else can I do? What else can I do? That's the picture. The church is the happiest and strengthened the most when believers energized by the Spirit use their gifts for one another. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the ways that you've gifted this church every single person important to you, every single person intentionally equipped by the Spirit for the good of others. So we pray that you would continue to energize that work that we do for one another. Father, if there are those here that do not from the heart cry out, Jesus is my Lord, we pray that in seeing him on a cross, dying for their sins, rising again to offer them life, that they would come to embrace him as Lord, as master, and then would serve his people. Make today a day of salvation 
and new life and joy. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.